you know, because we just want to give to you and to share our love towards you. And I guess the best way we can do it is to teach the Word of God. And uh, so please, please know that we're so thankful for you and our church family. I would ask uh, that you would go ahead and stand with me. I really felt the recognition of the presence of the Lord and the presence of the love of God, Father God encountering us today. And we must recognize when the presence of God is here, is love is here. And love basically, I know it's a cliche, but love will conquer everything. The love of God will conquer everything. And I know that because of the crowd and very, you know, a lot of people watching online, I want you to understand that God knows the situations you're in. He recognizes that. He knows even before they take place what's going to take place. And God does not bring evil to you, but he is saying to you, encounter me. Allow yourself to sit for a moment. Don't run around look for the answers. Just sit and encounter God because he's the answer. And there are many tools and helps that you can read and watch and listen to and services and everything. But God really, because he loves you so much, he wants to encounter you. He is basically coming to you. And a lot of times, as we've learned, is that we miss those encounters. Because in Christianity, religious Christianity, we have a tendency to just be doers and always wanting to do things and, oh, God is moving in my life. I got to do something. Well, absolutely. Where there's vision, you know, uh, you, you move on that vision and you do things. But the power behind your doing is always with sitting with God, encountering God and and allowing him to sit with you and to talk with you and to encourage you and remind you of scripture that he's already written and remind you of those granules of sand of the thoughts that he does have has towards you. I want to pray because I, I believe today is another one of those breakthrough days that um, in a certain area that I, I can dive in like I do on Sunday nights. I do it on Sunday mornings, but I can really dive in doctrinally and, and to bring you a lot of doctrinal, uh, you know, proceedings and, and steps and all that. But, but this morning, I, I just want you to, to understand is today is God has planned a breakthrough in a specific area in all of our lives. Because I believe that in all of our lives, this tool that the enemy wants to use messes with us. No matter how many days you're in the Word of God and all that, the enemy is still there. Uh, his cohorts is, is trying to mess with you in this area, and we're going to talk about it in a moment. But I just want to pray for you. Father, thank you for just what you have done and planned from the beginning of this world for us to be a church, 
for us to be a family, for us to be here this moment, this very second. Lord, you have, in, in whatever way it was, you have brought us into the revelation of being here at this time. And Lord, now I just pray that that breakthrough that you promised today, many months ago to me, is going to just explode in our lives. And we will be able to see that truth in the many decisions that we make in the next few weeks. Because now we understand that we've been delivered and as we walk in this faith, we are protected from this tool the enemy tries to use. Because Jesus, you have conquered, you have taken this upon yourself and you've defeated every work of the enemy. The enemy has been destroyed. And I thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for that truth. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you as you're seated. I want to tell you I love my wife. I really do. And tomorrow uh, at 1 o'clock, I was standing right here marrying my wife. I was looking that way. Amen. And uh, this evening we're going to go out to dinner and celebrate because we have a lot going on uh, this week. And Tomorrow, the 29th, is our anniversary. So thank you for remembering us during this time. The key to prospering in life is the presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is here and is perusing inside and out the reality of who we are and what we've experienced through the years of our life. Nothing is hidden from him. The key to the presence of the Lord is obedience. The key to obedience is faith. For those that are doing the notes, this is not in your notes that you're looking at. I just felt like we are to say this. The key to obedience is faith. And the key to faith is hearing the Word of God. It is a process of our eternal life, of walking in the presence of God. At times in this world, you will fail. There's not one person in this room that can say they did not fail in one way or the other. At times, tribulation will come. Tribulation at times will be devastating, but not a defeating tribulation because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Real prosperity with all that it entails, as Scripture tells us, is God pushing you forward in the midst of life. When you actually come to a place of believing the presence of God, and the very reason why Jesus came for our salvation, for our healing. But I believe, number one priority, so that we can experience and encounter 
the true love of God, to know the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We also know that there is a tool that the enemy uses, and this tool is called shame. And shame is a word that many of us here, you probably understand it because we've taught on it, but many believers do not understand what shame really is. We at times live in shame unknowingly as believers. We make decisions based on shame. And again, as I said, it is a spiritual tool that the enemy uses to steal, kill, and to destroy. But the Bible tells us Jesus took our shame. And if he took our shame, that we should not live in shame. But because, of, I'm going to use a term, but because of this term, we live in it. Because of ignorance of this. I didn't say that we aren't smart. You are some of the smartest people that I know. But the reality is because of ignorance on this. And because Jesus has taken our shame, my question in this message today is why are we still holding on to shame? Why is our life guided by shame when we have been delivered from the power of shame. We're going to continue in the series on divine encounters called When We Encounter God. We don't know her name in the story we're about to talk about, but today we will talk about the adulterous woman or her story. The only thing we know about her is she is caught in the very act of adultery. In John chapter 8, we're going to begin reading uh, the story here. And let's look at verse 1 of John chapter 8. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple. In other words, he went and attended church. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him. Notice, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people, weren't in church. (laughs) Hello. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Jesus is talking. And this is our famous scripture that everybody quotes, everybody talks about, but they don't really talk about it in the encounter that this adulterous woman had with God and what it did and what it delivered her from. And that every one of us in encounters have this ability. Verse 6, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. 
But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear or hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Verse 8. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted, notice the word convicted, by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Interesting, the oldest. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Pause. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, there is all sorts of conjecture. There's all sorts of comments of what Jesus wrote in the dirt. All right? So let's have some fun a little bit here, and this is my personal opinion. I believe Jesus wrote the names of the people there and the sin that they committed. There is a guy standing there with a stone in his hand, and he looks down and he sees his name, and next to his name, he sees just cheated on his taxes. And they all do the same thing. And they throw their stone down and cheat on taxes, adultery, lying, stealing, pride, anger, unforgiveness, you name it. They all had something in their life. And I just want to say to you, so do we. Are you with me? So do we. So we're not scribes and Pharisees. And we're not going to stand outside the church trying to figure out how to connive the church. I don't know if Jesus did that. I can't prove it to you. But we will find out when we go to heaven if that's what Jesus did. And he'll probably tell you that Pastor Gary was right. Anyways. (laughs) Think about the woman. She didn't know that this was a divine encounter, even though it was. Think about many instances in your life when you've been caught when you're feeling guilty, when you're feeling condemned, when you're feeling these emotions. But God is there. The love of God is there, but you don't even recognize that God is there. You don't recognize the forgiveness. You don't recognize the love of God. You don't recognize this reality That shame is trying to walk, ride all over you, and lead you into a dark tunnel in your life 
to where you never get out of that tunnel. You're never able to see the fullness of these encounters of God and what God has done for you. She is meeting the most famous church leader of the day, greater than Billy Graham. The way she meets him is she gets caught and hauled into church. Jesus is in the temple, church, and being caught in the very act of adultery. The law says she's going to die. Her husband was not there, as it says, that it didn't say, and her husband was there also. Her husband will lose his wife that day because of stoning, and she can't explain it to her husband. If she had her children, doesn't say whether she had children or not, that will be her legacy that their mother was stoned to death because of adultery, sleeping with another man. Think of, a, of how shameful she feels. And she meets Jesus, and in this encounter, he completely changes her life with just one encounter. We have been talking in this series about many encounters with God. All it takes is one of you recognizing that it's him encountering you and you receiving and sitting down and allowing this encounter to change you, to minister to you, to heal you, to restore you into the place where God has called you to be and you and I know that we've made mistakes, that we've willingly at times sinned and have walked away from the very presence of God. That never changes the heart of God towards you. So the question is then, is what did she, the adulterous woman, now we don't know her name, how would you like to have that for eternity written in the most famous book in the world, the Bible, have you described as the adulterous woman or adulterous man? That's not a good thing. But something happened to her. And even though the Bible describes her as that, she was delivered from the power of the sin that she was doing in her life. So what did she learn about Jesus that day? What did she learn from the encounter? And what did that encounter remove from her? So we're going to give you again three things. Last week I gave you one, but this time I'm going to give you three things of what took place and literally, when you encounter God, what does that encounter consist of? First thing, Jesus isn't condemning. Jesus is not condemning. 
For some reason, many have this picture of God that he condemns you. God wants to push you down in a condemning way. God is just grabbing a hold of you and throwing you around and making you angry because he's saying no when you want to say yes. So listen to this statement or quip that I heard. Hunters hunt, golfers golf, some of them lie, (laughs) sinners sin. Jesus isn't shocked when sinners sin. Jesus isn't shocked with sin. It's amazing that we are shocked that sinners sin or people sin. It's amazing we're shocked that believers sin. Regarding sinners, that's what they do. They sin. Remember, hunters hunt, golfers golf, sinners sin. Well, pastor, that's not very exciting. Well, let me give you an example. When traveling in a third world country or other countries, it's crazy the way they drive. It's amazing. You can have three lanes for three cars or a car per lane, but in other countries, you'll have five cars in three lanes. And then you'll have five mopeds in the midst of those five cars. They have very few car wrecks. Why is that? In the United States of America, we are the leader of the world with car wrecks. Per average people, drivers, we have the greatest amount of car wrecks. Why is that? See, in other countries, they expect others to get out of the lane. In Honduras, when I used to go to Honduras, and we built a, a prayer chapel in Didasco, it's an orphanage there, um, you would go in the city and you'd come to an, uh, an intersection and you'd be going 30, 35 miles an hour, you'd beep your horn, and if you were the first one to beep your horn, you had the right of way. So my question to the driver was, what if you aren't sure? And you sound, it sounds like you both beep the horn at the same time. He says, I just go. <laughs> My prayer life got a lot better after that trip. In America, we expect everyone to stay in their lane. And we're shocked or ticked, or mad if they don't, right? And we don't beep the horn thinking, I'm first. We beep the horn because we want them to look at us so that we can say something to them. (laughs) Like, God loves you. (laughs) All right? We in church expect everybody to stay in line. 
and we're shocked if someone doesn't. This is why Jesus isn't shocked and condemning about sin. He expects sinners to sin and not to stay in their lines. See, when you encounter him, Jesus doesn't have a holier-than-thou attitude. He doesn't have a religious attitude. Now stick with me, because remember I read the scripture and I paused and then I read another part of what he said to her. By the way, Jesus is the only one that lived that holier-than-thou life. He could have had that attitude because he was holier than every thou in the world. But he didn't. Why is that? Because of the truth that we need to break through in today. In John 3.17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that, that the world through him might be saved. The theology of this, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it. Verse 18 says this also. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. They have loosed this tool that the enemy wants to use and used from the very beginning of sin with Adam and Eve. In Romans 8, let's read this, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, those who are born again have been delivered from something that we do not truly understand. And because of that, we are still living in this thing that the enemy tries to hold us in. And it creates all kinds of emotional trauma in our life and depression. So how could Jesus say there is no condemnation? Because the answer is that God has declared us You, not guilty. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your and my sin. Past, present, and future. But as a believer walking in faith, at times when you do sin, and you do 1 John 1.9 says that he is faithful and just forgive you, to forgive you of that sin as you confess it to him. Because you're wanting to walk in that covenant relationship 
with God, having nothing hindering you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority that he's given you through the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We must understand the love of the Father. It is a done deal. Condemnation is not yours. Conviction is there, but condemnation is not. And it's the tool of condemnation that will cause you to uh, go through all kinds of turmoil in your life and difficulties in your life and holding unforgiveness and offense and all kinds of things because we still don't recognize what the encounter with God gives us. When you encounter God, you will encounter that perfect love which will deliver you from a reality many people are walking in that God doesn't love you. He's pushing you down somewhere and he's an evil God and he's throwing you around. He created this. He caused that cancer. He caused that sickness. He did not. Jesus Christ came into this world and he defeated the enemy fully. So God declares us not guilty and we are, let me say it this way. Holy Spirit, just really, because there's someone needs to hear it this way. God declares us not guilty. And I want you to understand, if you are feeling guilty, then you are telling God he's a liar. A little strong. I changed what I was going to say there. When we're living in this, here it is, shame, condemnation, we're declaring to God, you are a liar, and what you had your son do is a strict lie, and I don't believe you, and you're walking away from this true encounter that you can have with God, the love of God. God loves you, and God doesn't lie. So how can God the Father declare us not guilty when we have sinned? Here's your answer. Because the Father declared Jesus, his Son, guilty. He took all our sin, and he put it on his Son, and his name is Jesus the Christ. Jesus was condemned and executed for your and my sin. Here's the second thing I wanted to say, and I held off for a second until I said this. If we're living in condemnation and shame, then literally we're saying Jesus died for no reason at all. That his death, his pain, the stripes he took, didn't mean a thing. So why even celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday? Because it doesn't mean a thing. And I know I'm being really strong here, but I want to tell you doctrinally, here is the point, is that Jesus loves us so much. And even when we sin, he is coming towards us to encounter us. We don't recognize the encounter. Here's the encounter always, to remind you 
that he loves you and to remind you that even though you sinned, he is still your father. And in your repentance, it is cleansed. And you don't have to walk around with guilt anymore. You don't have to make those decisions out of that shame and that guilt. And those decisions will take you down that dark tunnel. It will take you to a place where you're asking God, God, where are you? Where's the answer to my tribulation and trouble? The answer is, is encountering God and understanding the love of God and the first get rid of shame and condemnation because it's been paid for. I know people that rejoice in condemnation. They live on that. That's their attention factor. And when I talk to them, I weep. I get teary-eyed because I recognize they've been deceived. I rejoice because I live in the prosperity of the Lord. And this is the prosperity I live in. God is always pushing me forward to a greater realm in my life. No matter how old I get, man, I, never, I, I knew I'd get older, but I never thought I'd be saying, I'm going to be on Medicare in November. <laughs> Dear Lord in heaven, Anyways, it still bothered me. I don't need Medicare. I'm not that old. Yeah, I am. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he, God, removed our transgressions from us. This is what this woman found out today. Jesus said, is anyone here now condemning you? She said, There is no one here condemning. And Jesus said, neither do I. And when you you encounter God, he's going to say, who's here condemning you? You're going to look around. Me. Amen. Because that's the only one. Me. Me. And what you need to say is no one. He said, neither do I, because I love you. Understand the Father's love. Hear this in your spirit. Grab a hold of it and let it break through. Here's the second thing in this story. Jesus isn't compromising either. Jesus isn't compromising. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. But then he says, go and sin no more. He wasn't condemning, but he wasn't compromising. So some of the religious people, well, you know, pastor, what you're saying, we just do whatever we want to do in life and there's whatever and God just still loves us. 
Well, yeah, God still loves you. But he says, go and sin no more. Don't compromise your walk with God. That's why 1 John 1, 9 says that we, we must confess our sin when we do. And we must keep that line up in there that we confess our sin. Jesus said again, I don't condemn you, but then he says, go and sin no more. He wasn't compromising. We in the church don't want to be condemning, but I believe we compromise. Amen. Today's church compromises, and we call it relevant. We need to be relevant of the day. Pastor, we need to be tolerant of people. We can't think the old way. Well, what is the old way? We have to be relevant to our culture. I get it. Music changes, different hairstyles change, all the different things. But the most relevant person that ever lived, his name was Jesus. He was relevant. And the reality, he said, I do not condemn you, but don't go and sin. Matthew eleven nineteen says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Oh, see, he was a drunk. No, he wasn't. Came eating and drinking. In other words, he lived in this world, but he didn't sin. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus was called a friend of sinners. Notice the word friend, all right? Hebrews 7, 26 says this, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who his holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens more than a friend. He's a Lord. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's your Savior, my Savior. Notice the two phrases, a friend of sinners, he's not condemning. A friend of sinners, he's not condemning. Separate from sinners, he's not compromising. If you compromise, you have no platform with which to witness. That's why the church, average church in America grows by transfer growth. Hey, did you hear about the worship team of that church? Oh, let's go over there. Hey, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? They do the musicals. They do this. They do that. Go travel place to place. And the reality is most churches grow that grow, grow by Transfer growth. It doesn't grow by people getting born again. There's only between 3 to 5% churches in America that grow from people getting born again. And I attribute that to not understanding encounters with God, not understanding the love of God, and not walking in love to the world because we are afraid of the world, but we don't compromise. 
I, I, you know, the people are compromising all the time. They compromise to be a friend with someone who doesn't go to church. We don't compromise. But what we do is we love the sinner. Because why? If we really understand God's love, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever in this world would believe would get saved. See, that's the heart of God. And I know many of you are out in your neighborhoods and you're ministering to people and I hear the testimonies and all that, but I want to tell you, it's not compromising. You know, I'm not afraid to, to walk in places. Like I said last week, you know, about Disneyland, you got some Christians that don't go to Disneyland. Well, then don't go to the grocery store <laughs> because there's alcohol in there. Don't go to the grocery store because a lot of those grocery stores give money for abortion. Don't go to here, don't go there. In other words, you're going to stay in your own house and grow your own food. How many of you can grow in your own food? Not many. Grow your own food. You see what I'm saying? We, we get so wrapped up in wrong, right, wrong, right, wrong, right, instead of saying the love of God. I've been delivered from shame, and sin has no hold on me anymore. And now I will live my life, but I won't compromise. I'll live my life for Jesus Christ. Church family, let's break through. Let's break through. Let's stop looking down on different people and different cultures. I don't compromise. I mean, I, I just told you, I, I'm just being real frank with you today, is I don't compromise. A couple of weeks ago, uh, a couple months ago, I have meetings with, with people who are, have same-sex relationships. And I go and have a meal with them and sit with them three hours talking about the Bible. I'm their pastor. I've told you this before. I don't compromise. I don't say, amen, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. I don't compromise with what Scripture says. Romans chapter 1, read it. I don't compromise. But I love people. I don't love, you know, walk up to someone who, who's driving drunk and has an accident and say, you know what, I love you for driving drunk and having an accident. I don't compromise don't drive and drink. Okay? You, you see what I'm talking about? The, the reality of culture is culture is trying to tell you, well, if you don't believe the way I believe, then you're wrong. And you have a problem. You're a bigot. You're whatever they want to call it. And I want to say to you, church family, because you are faithful to God and you encounter God, when you walk in this world, when you go to school, young people, when you go to work, whatever it is in your neighborhood, you don't look down on your neighbor sitting in the front yard with his car parked there and sitting out there with three buddies getting drunk. You don't look down on you pray for them and you go over, hey guys, how you doing? Amen. You sit with them and you talk with them. And then there are times I know when I've done that, 
There are times I need to get up and leave because it's getting to the place where sometimes guys, they get a little tipsy, they talk raunchy. And so I get up and I walk away. Why is that? Because I don't want to hear that. And so let's go back to this, this woman who the Bible still calls the adulterous woman. She is beginning to understand something. There is no one condemning me, and neither are you. But the Bible says she didn't know who he was. A scripture, another scripture many pastors won't read today, and I don't know why. In Malachi 2.16, it says, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for he covers one garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. We're part of the four-score organization. It used to be years ago. Uh, I was part of a, uh, a board that changed some of the aspects of that, is that if, if you were divorced, you couldn't be licensed. If you were divorced, you couldn't be on the council, church council. If you were divorced, you couldn't be an elder. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so you're divorced, but you're committing adultery, but you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this, you're doing that, and, but you can do this. And I'm saying, what in the world is going on in our church today? And so I, I'm looking at that, and now what we have, of course, there's, there's a reason for divorce. There's a problem there, all right? So you sit down with a person, you counsel with a person, you sit down with them, you have them spend time with you and growing and growing and nurturing and being changed and all the different things. And from there, your life is transformed. Why? Because the same thing, the same thing that this woman went through with adultery, Jesus says, who around here is condemning you? But it used to be, the church does. Who around you is condemning you? Well, no one is. Then go and sin no more. You know what he's talking about? Then go and change. Let the Holy Spirit move in your life to where there's change, but then you come under. You submit under uh, elders and submit under leadership in the church so that you grow. And after a season, because of your life transformation, a breakthrough in your life of situations, you no longer walk in condemnation. You no longer walk in shame. Now you begin walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then there's a call and there's a gift in your life and you can break through and do great things for the kingdom of God in spite of your past. Because God loves you. God loves you. Uh, okay, let's go on. Clock be still on the wall. We live in a society, half of our society have experienced divorce. Malachi 2.16 says he hates divorce because it hurts you. It says it covers your garment with violence. It is a violent, horrible situation when a family goes through a divorce. 
It affects you, your friends, your family, your children. So the reason God hates divorce is because he loves people and he doesn't want you hurt. It's the same here in this example. Again, God hates car wrecks. It doesn't say he hates the people who were in a car wreck. The reason why he hates car wrecks is because it hurts people. God is not against you, church. When you make a mistake, when you trip and fall, or you just walk into it willingly, he still loves you, but he won't compromise. I know some of us may be listening on on the internet, you're, you're getting uncomfortable. Because, oh, that pastor over there at Valley is just saying, do whatever you want to do. I'm not saying that. And Jesus wasn't saying that. God forbid Paul said that, that we would just go live whatever type of life we want to live. But we walk in the love of God. As a pastor, here's my passion. My greatest concern is you won't believe me when I tell you sin is horrible. Because we're still walking in shame. And we've compromised with the feeling of shame that we've had. I don't ever want you to be curious about sin either. I want you to believe me living in this life that sin is horrible. Sin is horrible. Here's the third. Jesus is compassionate. Matthew 9.36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. When the woman encountered Jesus, the only emotion Jesus felt was compassion. He wasn't angry. He felt love for her. They were trying to trick Jesus so they could crucify him, and he was overwhelmed with compassion for the woman. Because it probably wasn't the first time she did this. She just got caught this time. And the reality is, is is he knew what was going on in her life. She was living with condemnation. She was living in shame. And the church was reminding her she should live in shame and condemnation. Oh, but pastor, it was in the law. And Jesus says, I'm coming to fulfill that law. And guess what? He did. So not one of you need to walk out of this house today thinking, I can't do this for God because of my past. Break through. Break through. Begin to realize, but let me tell you, let's go back, let's go back. We talked about prosperity, we talked about obedience, we talked about faith, we talked about the Word of God, but let's go back. When you encounter God, you encounter love. You encounter love. Oh, we believe in all that. That's what we do. OSL, discipleship, classes, Sunday night Bible study, women's, men's, everything that we do. We want you to grow, be discipled and grow. 
she only felt compassion from Jesus. If you're in sin today and you're watching me or listening to me, others say it's not true repentance if you got caught. See, the only reason why they repented is because they got caught. Well, maybe some people do that and it's not real. But let's stop pointing our finger and condemning people when Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Saying a person who is caught can, can't truly repent. You know, I'm thinking that reading the Bible, that if you're caught, you can't repent, that's not true. That's false doctrine, that you can't repent. Matter of fact, a lot of people in the Bible got caught. I know some that got caught and they went back to the same sin. But I still love them. I don't condemn them. But I know they've lost because they haven't encountered true love. They haven't encountered God. Let me close with these statements. The point is not whether you get caught or not. The point is, will your mind change? This woman was caught, and after being caught, she was never the same because she encountered Jesus. I don't know how people can encounter Jesus and not change. I don't know how we can encounter God and not change. This compassion is what she experienced And it changed her. Jesus paid for it on the cross. I like befriending sinners because I can help them. I can lead them to the one who can save them. Jesus is not condemning. Jesus is not compromising. And Jesus is compassionate. Shall we stand? This is the final realm of the teaching today. Encountering God, understanding true forgiveness and a breakthrough and a release from shame. No longer, no longer that you have to run around trying to prove yourself. Man won't forget. The world won't forget. God does. And it's our job as a church to live out this life of no condemnation and no shame so that when we encounter God, we see his love perfectly. And when we encounter the sinner or the believer who's living in sin, 
we don't put condemnation. But because of the strength of our walk and witness, they see in your life no compromising. And they will rise up wanting to be like you. They will rise up wanting to have what you have. See, I have nothing more than what you can have. I'm trying to tell you that. A lot of, because of religion, well, it's a guy up there preaching the Word of God. He just got this amazing, unique. I've spent a lot of time with God. I love the presence of the Lord. But that doesn't make me any better than you. The only difference may be is I understand the love of God. I don't live with condemnation. I don't live in shame. I don't base my decisions, live in my life making decisions based on condemnation and shame. That's what happened to the adulterous woman. No matter what she did, she cannot change the past. But she can live in the presence of God. And the presence of God is love. I proclaim an amazing blessing over you. I proclaim a blessing that reveals true forgiveness and true breakthrough and deliverance from condemnation and shame. Allowing you to see that 1 John 1.9 is a lifestyle as like reading the Word and walking in faith. Let me remind you what 1 John 1.9 says again, paraphrasing. Confess your sin before the Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness that very moment, you know what happens there? There's a reminder of the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it reminds you of the walk that you have. You are a son and daughter of God. And you can live in victory in every situation. Blessings to you. I love you. Thank you for honoring my wife and I today. Have an amazing day. See you next week.